following program are pre-recorded. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, you're two to Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bakken. Joining us on the program, uh, Andrew Horn with Tobacco Free North Dakota. Andrew, uh, you're the Coalition Program Director. And uh, um, we're going to get to the, the component with uh, Giving Hearts Day because there's a way to, to give to Tobacco Free North Dakota and, and help with tobacco cessation. Uh, you guys really focus a lot uh, on the elementary schools and, and kind of stopping it before it starts. That's really the best way, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the, the earlier we can get ahead of the nicotine dependence and the, the more, I guess, the more information we can get to these kids younger, the better chance they have of, of never getting addicted. Um, you know, CDC data shows that about 9 in 10 people who end up using these products are addicted before they're 18, and that number has even held true after the purchase age was raised to 21. So it's it definitely we gotta we gotta get those elementary middle schoolers the information so they can make the best choices. And the products have changed. We're gonna get that into a couple uh, in a couple minutes, but because um, I want to go through how tobacco use or nicotine use has really changed because it's necess- not necessarily about the tobacco anymore. It's about the nicotine and the delivery system for that. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but uh, give our listeners a little bit of an oversight. Uh, Tobacco-Free North Dakota, a little history of the program. Uh, it's been around for a while and uh, it's really done a, a great job of reducing some of those addiction numbers when it comes to tobacco use. Yeah, we've been around for nearly 40 years. I mean, if, if you think about it, we were around before the Master Settlement Agreement. We were around before North Dakota raised the tax the last time in, in 1993. And, I mean, if you think of how things have changed just in the tobacco realm since, you know, the mid-'80s to today, it's a completely different world. And we're always having to reinvent ourselves. We're always having to stay on top of the new trends, and, and we've been pretty successful in doing that. And really, the way we do that is continuing the education and advocacy work that our our founded our organization was based on. Okay, I'm going to date myself here because I was in high school and I remember when the initiative started. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and and I didn't use tobacco, but I had friends that did, and, and um, you know kind of a question is like okay if anybody that followed politics at that age and, and me and my friends were geeky enough to actually do that because it started out as a political agenda um and that's where it's got it, it, it it's springboard that we have to address tobacco use in north dakota and and i remember i probably had a third of the people i knew that were using tobacco products in high school and most of them were chewing not smoking but about a third of them quit um, just at the impetus of the program. By the time that uh, we graduated high school, they were like, yeah, uh, probably not the best idea for me and, and did change some lives uh, initially out of the gate. I, I remember that and I'm dating myself a little bit, but um, over the years, that impact has really trended up. I mean, they've done a great job. Yeah, this is I appreciate the shout out with that. Um, you're not the only political geek. Remember, I grew up 60 miles north of D.C., so here I was at five, six, seven years old following the Master Settlement Agreement, following uh, at that time Maryland was doing the tobacco buyout for farmers and switching their switching crops over. So I remember all that part of it as well. But, no, you're you're absolutely right. The more information we've gotten out there, the better it's been for people to make the decisions for themselves. We're We're not forcing people to quit. We are giving the information and we're giving them all the support that they need in order to make an informed decision. And I'm sure that when you were uh, when you were younger and saw some of these stuff, initially you would probably label it as negative messaging. You saw all about the dangers of what the stuff could do and how, how damaging it could be to your body. And what we've really found in the last, you know, eight to 10 years is that that kind of messaging doesn't work anymore. So you can't just go yell at someone to quit, you know, to quit smoking. It can actually have the opposite effect and make them harden their position. So what? really, we're, you know, we're here to support the community. Anyone who's using these products, there's a lot of support available for them if they want to make a quit attempt. Well, it's and, about and, 10 and, to 12 and, times on average to, and, to fully quit. And, and I remember because... I was a geek back then. I followed the legislature and, and there was a cognizant effort. It's like, we need to make sure that it's 
people's decision. We're not going to dictate as government on what people should do. And and that was a a big discussion during the legislative session when this really came into fruition. They they were cognizant of the fact that people need to make their own decisions, but we need to be able to facilitate them having the information to make the correct decision for themselves. You know, that was kind of... the impetus, and then I remember uh, the other big change was when bars were no smoking. I mean, because I, I, again, I'm dating myself. I remember back in the day, it's like you go to a restaurant, smoking or non smoking section. You go on an airplane, uh, smoking or non smoking section. Uh, it, it didn't matter. I mean, and yeah, the it didn't science. stop at a magical barrier. <laughs> I know. It, it, uh, you got the second answer. I, I never smoked, and, but in college, I DJed at bars. And there were nights I'm like, crap, I, I, I think I smoked four packs tonight. And I never smoked. <laughs> but it was the secondhand smoke. So yeah. I, I remember when that, the pushback, and then now I, I can't, even people that were ardently against it. And I'll admit, I was against the, well, but people go there to smoke and and you know what you're walking into. Um, I couldn't imagine now walking into a bar and being inundated with smoke. I mean, DJing back in the day, uh, I would walk into the garage and I'd take my clothes off in the garage because I couldn't take them in the house and you went right and showered because you smelled that bad. Hey. Oh yeah, I, I was, I'm still old enough to remember smoking or non-smoking sections uh, in, in restaurants as well. And it, it's yeah, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at some magical barrier of the section. And the people who went, you know, would go out for some sort of dining experience would end up getting a lot more than they bargained for in the secondhand smoke. And that that really led to that effort to just give clean indoor air. Every, I mean, it is a a fundamental belief of ours that everyone has that right to breathe the clean indoor air. Well, especially over the years when science has shown what secondhand smoke does. And it is very damaging. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I remember it's like, because I, and granted, I, I didn't smoke back then, other than I was taking in the secondhand smoke a lot. I'm like, the only difference was you're using a filter. <laughs> I didn't get the filtered smoke. Um, but you mentioned the 12 or 14 times to quit. So going back to the kids and going back to getting the information out there, because um, there's really a two-pronged approach. It's getting kids the information to make a good decision before they start, and then the cessation side. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk about those two different aspects of prevention and cessation because they are very different and they have some different nuances. We're talking with Andrew Horn Coalition Program Director, tac- uh, Tobacco Free North Dakota. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. E. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Doc 1270. I'm Steve Bach. We're talking with Andrew Horn, Coalition Program Director for Tobacco Free North Dakota. And Hearts Day coming up right around the corner. Uh, it, one of the many programs, one of the many uh, nonprofits you can actually donate to for Giving Hearts Day. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But I want to talk a little bit, Andrew, about uh, prevention versus cessation. And um, people go, okay, well, it's about getting people to quit tobacco. But it's easier to prevent somebody from starting than getting somebody to quit because you mentioned 12 to 14 times it takes before you're finally successful with quitting a tobacco addiction, that nicotine addiction. Um, How much of the programming focuses on prevention versus cessation? Because they're very different programs. Yeah, they are. And uh, we we actually have a a little saying where it's the best time to start is never, but the best time to quit is today. And when we really talk about that prevention side, um, going into the schools, going out into the community, particularly around young people, about 90% of people who end up using these products, and it's the CDC data, end up starting before they're 18. So that's really our target audience for the prevention side of it and giving them, uh, you know, giving them the information about what nicotine can do to the body and really what all these other, other products are. I mean, it's not just cigarettes and cigars anymore. You have the vaping um, with tons and tons of different products there. You have the nicotine pouches, which have really exploded in popularity over the last few years. Um, and, you know, we're still gathering baseline science on well, some of it. 
It, but anecdotally, we're seeing that it's doing the exact same thing that nicotine does. It used to be there was chewing tobacco or there was cigarettes. And, yep. you know, some of those numbers broke out a little differently if you were rural or urban. Um, even in North Dakota, you know, if you're a rural or urban kid. Um, but now there's so many other things out there. You know, my wife works with tobacco prevention uh, coordinator at Bismarck Public High School. And she could bust kids vaping every day in the bathroom. And a lot. Um, that's changed. The vaping has really changed the delivery method when it comes to nicotine addiction, hasn't it? Yeah, and it, it's not only changed the method, but it's changed the demographics on who uses these products. Um, you could tell before who smoked, who uh, who would use a chew, chewing tobacco. There would be more uh, more signs from someone. You know, you could see. The, the nicotine stains on fingers. You could tell from some other things. Vaping has really Smelling eliminated on the all of that. And it's, it is hard to see the farm just kid. by looking at someone, whether they use it or not. <laughs> the farm kid with the skull ring in his back pocket. You knew what he did on the weekends. It's, uh, it, the signs were easier. Now, and those delivery methods are so concealable. And what we're finding yeah. out as well, and I learn a lot this from my wife, is um, the... The health hazards are different. I mean, and I've I've sat in meetings and I've listened to people that it's like, I we wish kids would go back to smoking cigarettes because it's not as dangerous as vaping. Vaping is that bad. Well, there I will say they are both extremely dangerous. But you're absolutely right in the sense that vaping is not safe, and the tobacco industry and the companies that made these products really latched on to that that it's safer than smoking because you didn't see the smoke but it's we not have the data now that shows that that's just a complete falsehood who would have guessed the tobacco industry lied um <laughs> that it's just a complete falsehood with that and, and these products are super dangerous the nicotine itself gets into the to the bloodstream faster and it can when when you get addicted to nicotine it can rewire the brain so in the youth brain it still develops until you're about 26 Nicotine rewires the reward pathways in your brain, which makes you crave it. It is incredibly hard to quit nicotine. Um, and that, that's just the nature of the substance. Well, with the newer nicotine, the synthetic nicotine, it's able to hit harder and faster. And it's always been something that the younger you start, the easier it is to get addicted. So now you have stronger nicotine, higher nicotine content in these products, even products that don't match the nicotine content that they're labeling. So you may have more than what's, than what the package says. On top of that, some of these products that claim to be, you know, ton, uh, a lot of puffs, you can't regulate how much you're actually getting per hit. So, I mean, all of this, kids are just getting inundated with the nicotine right away on it, and it's really making it, a, a huge problem getting them addicted extremely quickly. How do you focus on the prevention side of stuff? How do you get that message out in front of kids? The biggest thing that we've really seen success with is, is just giving them this information. It is crazy how many kids, they all know that smoking is bad. Okay. We all know the, the normal smoking is bad message and that uh, the cigarette smoke is harmful to your lungs. We, we know that message. But we explain what nicotine does to the body. We explain what happens to the brain and in those reward pathways. Eyes light up. They've never been they've never been told that. It's never been shared. We tell them the other effects where it can affect the eyesight. You know, it'll constrict the blood vessels, can leave you more open to infections and, and you know, reduce your healing ability that way. Athletes are so surprised when they hear that. Hunters, it can affect the eyesight. You're going to tell me you're sitting in a deer blind six in, you know, six in the morning, 75 yards out. You may not be able to hit that buck and fill your tag. I mean, that's a big deal for kids here in North Dakota. And it's, it is crazy to see how, you know, we're in this every day. And, and we see this and we know this and we go and share this and how some of this information isn't, isn't shared as widely. So that's really why we, we hit the prevention angle of it and really do the education piece to get that information out there. Cause I can't count the amount of students who have come up to us and have said, I didn't know this 
about these products, I am never going to touch them now. So uh, step into the uh, cessation side of things. What kind of programs are out there? How do people go to stop using nicotine products? Well, for, for adults, uh, we have a fantastic quit line here in North Dakota. ND quit is one of the best quit lines in the country. So for adults, that is definitely uh, the avenue they want to use. For the youth, um, TFND, for you know, a long time we did the education advocacy, and in 2022 we put our, put our hat in the treatment ring, and we brought This Is Quitting to North Dakota. It's in partnership with Truth Initiative. It's actually a text-to-quit quit line for kids who, kids who vape, kids who use electronic products. And I say kids, I'll say kids and young people because it serves those 13 to 24. And that's a really crucial age range because you'll see youth-centered services from like 13 to 17, but you don't have many young adult-focused services at 18 to 24 when their brains are still developing, when they're actually able to legally buy these products after 21 and and we've seen from our program just in the short time it's been around that a lot of 18 to 24 year olds are using it all right move forward to giving hearts day uh, which is right around the corner and how do people participate because you're a participant with giving hearts day this year yeah we we've been doing giving hearts day for geez i can't even remember ever since i started here in 2020 of course, nothing else crazy has happened since 2020. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but we we love being part of the Giving Heart State community, and it just continues to grow and grow here in the Bismarck Mandan area. Um, how you can participate? Obviously, you can uh, on February 8th. You can go on to GivingHeartState.org and go and select your charities. We you know selfishly for TFND, you can follow our social media. Early giving is open. Uh, we've actually got a QR code you can scan on our social media pages. You scan that, it'll lead you right to uh, right to our portal to, to donate. And, and that money that you give us, this isn't, um, you know, we're, we're not going and buying frivolous things. This is going to help continue that This Is Quitting program. This helps continue giving us the ability to go into the schools and educate kids. And Steve, I know your wife has been to the Youth Action Summits as well. It helps with that, too. And those are really, really great programs to help us continue our goal to end commercial tobacco use here in North Dakota. A lot of great stuff. You can go to givingheartsday.org or uh, once again, back a free North Dakota website or the, the quit line as well. Absolutely. Andrew, thanks for joining us this morning. Andrew Horn, Coalition Program Director, Tobacco Free North Dakota. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, you're tuned to Talk of the Town. Good morning. I'm Steve Bakken. And joining us in the studio right now, Denise uh, from MSA United Way. Uh, giving Hearts Day coming up February 8th, right around the corner. But you don't wait until February 8th to think about it. You think about it now, or you should probably think about it year-round. But, uh, Denise, thanks for coming in this morning. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, when I say thinking about it year-round or thinking about it now, I, I mean that because uh, part of Giving Hearts Day is you have to organize. And there's a fundraising campaign that goes along with that. Uh, walk our listeners through that process, what that looks like for Giving Hearts Day, because there's a lot of on the front end before you can get to it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. So Giving Hearts Day on February 8th is an opportunity for our community to literally look at the heart of our community of who really needs the help and to prepare for that we have an opportunity like you are giving us now to let people know about this uh, to talk to other businesses in town to help support who in our community needs the help the most especially just to survive well and one of the things the united way does is identify those at risk and that's a big part of this because you can donate to a charity and just give, give, give. But if that money or the resources aren't going to where they're specifically needed, then we're not doing the best job we can. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. And the money stays here in our community. So we do, we look at the whole entire community of who needs our help. And basically it's to give people um, another chance to be able to move forward, to help pick, pick them up so they can go to where they need, need to go. We all have a hard 
times, but we have family to go to. And a lot of the people who we help do not have that resource. Okay, from a fundraising perspective right now, because people need to be thinking about uh, do that. Walk us through that fundraising, um, raising dollars now so that it can be directed for Giving Hearts Day. What does that look like? What do people need to do? Thank you. So we actually have on our uh, MSA United Way uh, website, we have a page for Giving Hearts. And you can click on that. And then the money will go towards the hunger and homeless in our community. Um, It will be matched as well, too. So we have a match, too. So we think a lot now, and it's really not the mission of the United Way to have a homeless shelter, but there was a need in the community, and the community asked, and nobody else wanted to step up, so United Way did. Um, But that's not the only place when United Way is funneling dollars to hunger and homelessness, it's not just going to the United Way shelter. There's a lot of different charities because the United Way is an umbrella. It acts as an umbrella, which actually gets resources to the right people so that people can get connected to those resources. Um, Tell us a little bit about that because there's so much more than just the United Way homeless shelter. Correct. Um, Thank you for bringing that up again as well. So our homeless, currently we have what's called the MSA United Way Backpack Program. We take care of school children in our community who would not have food to eat on the weekend. So if you think of a child who leaves on a Friday from school and does not go back to school until Monday, they would have less than like one meal for the entire weekend. Currently, we have over 1,600 children just in Bismarck, Mandan, that we are um, feeding. Our our goal, again, is to end childhood hunger. Um, This program is really helping us, but we can only do it because of the donations. That's part of giving Heart Stay um, uh, to help children have food in our community. You know, one great program, uh, the Backpack Program, and, you know, we think about the monetary side of this, but um, there's a lot to giving. Time is valuable. You need volunteers to pack those backpacks. So um, how do people get involved if maybe they don't have the monetary resources to be able to donate, but your time, the volunteers, in a lot of cases, just as valuable? It is. It is priceless to give of your own time to help others. Uh, volunteerbizman.com is our website. Uh, we, that helps our um, our nonprofit partner organizations are listed on that as well. So if you, with what... What part of the community really tugs at your heart that you want to help? You can go on our volunteer website and find an organization that really will make you feel like you're doing what you want to do to help the community. Really a great opportunity if you you want to get connected to the community, you want to pitch in, you want to help in some way. But it is important finding what tugs at your heartstrings, where is your passion lie, and volunteerbizman.com, great place to get connected to those. Again, like I said, United Way functions as an umbrella and partners up with all these different organizations. Great resource to go through volunteerbizman.com to get connected to where you've got a passion because, you know, if you've got a passion for something, <laughs> it's going to have a better outcome. Very, very much so. And also our uh, our homeless shelter. So it's called the Center for Opportunity. So what that means is when you come there, we're going to help you get back on your feet. Organizations come in there and offer uh, programs to help people get off their feet. Uh, people will, some people will say to me, oh, do we need a shelter? People should just work. But people don't realize why people need to go into a shelter. And currently we have five children in our shelter, the youngest two and the oldest seven. Uh, we currently, we uh, had a newborn baby in our shelter and we recently had a six month old and I can't imagine children out in this weather, let alone an adult, especially with the weather we have coming up. So as a volunteer, what could you do? What what do you know how to do? You could go in and mentor. You could teach knitting. You could sing if you don't want to do anything else, but you could just go in be a friend to the people who are in there because again we have people in there who may not have family um, and no one to talk to so it's really again what touches you and and how you want to help and you can always call us at our office at msa united way um, and we can help you um, find your passion to help other people well and if you don't think you've got a skill or something to provide you know 
they'll help you find something. <laughs> I will. I will promise you that you will find something. Uh, you know, if, if you're a good cook, you want to help out with that. If if you're a whiz on the computer, that's one of the other things too with the yes. center of opportunity is, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily have the the right documentation, uh, a driver's license or an ID card or a social security card, the things that they need to attain a job. Um, that's one of the things that the Center for Opportunity provides is the ability to get somebody through that process to get that documentation, to get them a job, to get them out of that cycle. Um, you know, uh, what, what, what's the number, like 87% uh, breaking that recidivism, um, you know, 87% of people that come through the shelter don't stay in the shelter. Um, they get on their own two feet and, and, and move on with their life. It's, it, it's more of that snapshot in time and how do you give somebody a hand up when they need it rather than a hand out. And, and that's really what uh, MSA United Way is focused on with the Center for Opportunity. Uh, just going back to Giving Hearts Day, uh, a little bit, you know, like I said, now's the time. Uh, where do people find information about Giving Hearts Day to get teed up for February 8th? Okay, so go on uh, msaunitedway.org and you'll see a Giving Hearts page. How how can you help? Um, it's So it, we feed 1,600 children a weekend. It's $95 if you want to sponsor a child for a whole school year. It costs us about $8,000 to fill all the bags of food. Uh, if you have $5, instead of going to uh, get a coffee for $5, we'll fill up one pack well, of food Well, most of them are more child. than $5 now. So. <laughs> I know. I have a hard time doing that. Uh, <laughs> for shelter, so we have very cold Arctic air coming in. Um, I actually, it, it's hard for me to sleep knowing there's, we do have people sleep out there, out in the street. We have 47 beds in our shelter, but we have about average about 100 people at night. Um, there'll be more when the weather's cold. We had about 147. We had that snowstorm in October. This is here in Bismarck and Mandan that people don't have a place to go. And so that's why I'm so grateful we do have the shelter because we're... You can't survive in this weather without it. So $27 will pay for a night of shelter. We can't stay open without money. Um, it's, it's vital. So I always let people know you truly are saving a life, truly saving a life by doing $27 for a night, $54 for a family, $5 to give a child food for the weekend. It takes so little to save a life in our area. VolunteerBizMan.com if you want to find out uh, how to volunteer and get connected with some of those other organizations or find out where your passion lies. Or uh, if you want to get teed up for Giving Hearts Day, uh, website once again? Uh, MSAUnitedWay.org. Um, and you'll find a Giving Hearts uh, link. Just click on it, and it'll take us right there. Perfect. Denise, thanks for coming in today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Denise with MSA United Way. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town, weekday mornings starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. AM Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. But conservative talk without apology. The regular Joe Show with Joe Giganti. Weekday evenings at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, I'm Steve Biden, along with Jason Spies on the Crude Life. Uh, you can get your Crude Life every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. And uh, Jason, good Wednesday morning to you, my friend. Well, happy Wednesday to you, good sir. What's going on in your world? Well, looking forward to giving Hearts Day tomorrow. And, uh, of course, uh, a lot of great uh, um, nonprofits will be broadcasting live uh, from a little event downtown Bismarck tomorrow. They're going to be uh, having all the nonprofits stop by. We're going to be broadcasting live 
from uh, the old Amis Furniture on Main Street, uh, right at 4th and Main, uh, with a lot of the nonprofits coming through there. So we'll have an opportunity to talk to them. And of course, uh, pre-giving is going on now. So uh, lots of cool stuff. But uh, um, speaking of cool stuff, and I was talking about this with a friend yesterday. Have you seen some of the innovation with artificial intelligence. I know you were using some chat GPT and some things like that on the front end, but uh, have you delved into what is coming with artificial intelligence? Uh, from a lot of different angles, I have, yes. I'm not really quite sure specifically what you seem to be directing towards, but yeah, I've, uh, I'm familiar with outside of, uh, you know, the... The images and the uh, text, yeah, there's other applications that are, um, yeah, yeah. So specifically, <laughs> when it comes to oil and gas, because yeah. I, someone had shared with me some software, because they asked me to look at it, that is artificial intelligence based. Um, and it factors in so many different aspects of exploration i mean there's no such thing as wildcatting anymore there's no such thing as jed clampett um shooting at some food and up comes the ground comes a bubble and crude there's no okay well we think there's going to be this i mean you take a look where the technology has come and they're pretty accurate right mm -hmm. what if yeah. i told you that artificial intelligence and some of the applications with the predictability models, with everything that it knows, the geology, all of it factored in and artificial intelligence could go, um, yeah, don't drill there yet because it's not completely mature or we're going to get a better result over here. And uh, yep, that's going to run out uh, at a shorter period of time. But that one's going to be a little bit longer play. So when that one starts running out, then we'll come back to this one. And you talk about the ability to drill, the ability from a safe. And we talked with Sarah Stogner. We're going to talk to her at the bottom of the hour about uh, what's going on in Texas uh, with that saltwater blowout. But the ability for artificial intelligence to uh, predict that there's going to be a blowout. We need to shut this down. Um, the safety aspect, you, you you take a look at all of the different places that artificial intelligence comes into the oil process, drilling, producing, transportation, mm -hmm. from a safety perspective, from a profitability perspective, this is different. This is, tell you what, I looked at that program and got into it a little bit yesterday and went, Wow. I mean, you talk about game changing technology. I saw it yesterday. So I'm yes, I'm very familiar with what's going on. And um, you know, just to give folks an idea, uh 92% of oil and gas companies have already invested in AIs or are currently in the process of it. Okay. And 50% of them have already seen results, okay? And I know this because the Oil Man magazine, the Oil Woman magazine, and Energies magazine, we've had their reporters on here in the past, Steve, um, they're very progressive when it comes to uh, just life, I guess. You know, he's a, a African-American publisher out of Houston, a female editor, They've got, um, you know, all kinds of different, uh, um, you know, from that side of things. But also, for the last five years, they've been very heavily into the AI technology side of their editorial. And so they were one of the early adapters. And since we do a lot with them, uh, I've been very uh, up, up to speed on a lot of these different AI technologies. And in fact, we were just having a discussion with their editorial staff earlier this week it's funny you bring this up because this was one of the things that I folded in. When you take a look at what's going on in the world of oil and gas right now, you have a very interesting um, angle of regulations that are coming in. And what's happening with them 
is that primarily the small businesses and the independents are getting getting decimated. So by hook or by crook, the small operators, the, the family companies, the small ones, and um, the independents, they're going away. Because well, we kind of knew that was the model anyway, though, Jason. Because if you this, look back right, at this, this has been a three-year warning. This has been a three-year warning. So, well, I'll go back and, even further than that because you go back to, um, you know, one of the questions that popped up back in 2010, 11, 12, as things were ramping up, people kept asking, "Well, where are the majors? This is so earth-shattering. Where are the majors?" Well, it was the R and D dollars. So. Right. The majors, the major majors, and there's only a couple of them, they don't spend the R&D dollars. They let somebody else does it, uh, do it. And when the finances dictate that, okay, they've developed that far enough, we're going to buy that asset. Mm-hmm. So they gobble Correct. up these, these smaller, the mon pop, well, because the, the mon pops get gobbled up by somebody next up the food chain. And then hey, there's about four or five different layers that I, I kind of have fleshed out. But, but you're going the right direction because that's where I was going with my going with, 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 going with my thought was that no by by the, basically you have one angle of of a thump coming, then you've got you know uh, Biden with the recent natural gas and some of the pipeline issues that are happening. So you got another angle coming in with another thump. Now you've got the AI coming in that's been funded by the government. Okay, let's let's not kid ourselves here. This was all driven by the U.S. government, by the most part, to fund the AI, get this going, blah, 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 all these different things. So what you're going to see, Steve, by the end of the year, half the oil companies are going to be gone. They're going to be bankrupt. They're going to be bought out. There's going to be mergers. You're, I, 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 I predict you're going to have probably less than six companies that own 90% of the global oil supply by the end of this year. Okay, I want to extrapolate that out a little bit, though, because, um, and I, I don't want to think of it in just in terms of oil. Think of it in terms of energy. And that's so, what I'm thinking of. <laughs> what, what's the what's the end game? Because you take a look at the oil companies that are now energy companies, and my next question is, okay, you've got this reduction in companies, so it's going to be a very small footprint of companies doing business in the energy sector. Steve, it's going to get so wild. You might see, because you got to remember the whole carbon initiative thing. So you might see companies buying other companies just for the carbon credits. So all of a sudden we're going to get Exxon, Verizon, Chipotle by the end of the year as one company. (laughs) It's kind of like idiocracy. Taco Bell rules it all. Uh, (laughs) Carl's Jr. is going to pick up your kids. Yes, I know. (laughs) Think about this, though. If you look at an energy, and and this has already been broached, what's the end game? So... You've got a couple different forces working, and I I haven't quite figured out if they're all together yet, but you've got the globalist agenda, and you've got a government agenda, which, depending on elections, could not not be globalist. But look at California, and California is always the precursor of what's coming. And because of the wildfires, which they blame on electric power lines because, well, the state of California doesn't let electric companies trim around their lines because you have to leave the natural growth there. So when it starts a fire, but the electric companies get blamed um, for a fire, and then you've got the rain event that's taking place this week in California and massive mudslides because of the deforested, defoliated landscape and the scarring from the fires and they've already broached this california said well maybe we should just own all of these power supplying companies is that the end game i think so i mean when you take a look at what a lot of these companies are trying to do now is you know they're they're trying to do a lot more with vertical integration yeah, or or synergy, whatever. The, you know, it's so funny because, like, literally, fifteen years ago, um, I was told, basically, that the greatest oil company in the world was just uh, a file folder 
you know, it, it, in, a, in a file cabinet down in the laundry room because it made money with the least amount of risk. Now, yeah. if you take on some, you know, one of the 150 things along the supply chain, well, then you make more money, but then you have more risk. More okay. risk. Right. And so to me, we're up against the break. Hold on to that thought. I want to come back and finish the the risk side of things uh, when we come back. This is Talk of the Town on a Wattage Wednesday. I'm Steve Bach along with Jason Speech. You can get Jason on the Crude Life Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bach along with Jason Speech from the Crude Life. You can catch Crude Life. Each and every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. This is a Wattage Wednesday, and we're talking about risk. And uh, you know, it's kind of what goes in comes out, right? It, it, there, there's always that no risk it, no biscuit thing, right? So when an energy company, and I'm not going to call them an oil company, but if an energy company is managing risk, you know, look at all the factors that go into that. And then... There's that risk reward. And so does it become like you kind of were intimating is you have to balance that on the balance sheet? I think so. I mean, take a look at the Bakken. Um, You know, 10, 15 years ago, we were number two for a long time in oil production. Now we're number three behind New Mexico. And when you take a look at the companies, you know, Whiting, Petroleum, they, they went bankrupt. And so many of these companies that come into the Bakken, they complain about the uncertainty. Well, then the government steps in and gives them certainty. And the short-term gain equals long-term pain. Now the Bakken's got record workforce issues. Um, they've, you know, the, the, the state is like trying to patch this with that and, 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 you know, cut off your nose to spite your face and, and use bubble gum to get this dam plugged and that kind of stuff. Because what you have now is you have like the commerce department trying to play business. They're, they're, they're literally reaching out to different businesses trying to say, we'll give you money if you come to this state. And that's, that's completely destructive actually. So when you take a look at, how much the Bakken has been mismanaged, Steve. When you look back at the history, you know, think of Lynn Helms. Lynn Helms talking about your grandchildren's grandchildren are going to be profiting off the Bakken. How you needed this much water. Oops, forgot to carry the the zero. Now it was 70 times the amount we originally said. So all, you know, all these things were completely mismanaged. So what North Dakota had to do is come in and take away the uncertainty. For two years... I remember reporting and interviewing and the soundbite was uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. We got to take out the uncertainty. And North Dakota comes in and they just give the money to the oil companies. And that money goes right out of state. I mean, so much of the money that's gone to the oil companies has gone right out of state that this is what we're left with. We're, we're left with a bunch of companies that have now a lot of risk and they got a lot invested. And so now the state has painted themselves in a corner. In the meantime, oil production keeps going down. More companies keep going bankrupt because they bring in, they bring in cheaper labor now. Because they bring in cheaper labor, we have more spills. We have more problems. We have more accidents. You know, we're fourth in drug-related accidents, right, in the nation? Did you know yeah. that, Steve? Yeah. Well, and, and, and look back. Deaths, as far as if there's, if there's an accident with a drug involved, we have more deaths. We're fourth in the nation on that. And look back 10 years. That wasn't the case. No. 10 years ago, we were the... We were at the forefront of safety. That If you worked out in the oil patch or you had anything to do with the oil patch, safety was paramount it was safety 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 first second last right always you started your day with a safety meeting you ended your day with a safety wrap-up it was part of the culture it was culture Uh aha absolutely it was 
you just said the magic word. It was part of the culture. Because the culture you knew, of course, you, you knew the people that you went to church with. You knew the people at the cafes. And what v Vicki Steiner and I used to talk about this. Uh, Vicki Steiner from, from uh, Dickinson. Uh, former state, state legislator, I, very good. Yeah, friend, I yeah. can't remember if she's elected or not. She kind of comes in. She, she always seems to be involved. So, um, and in our hearts, her heart is gigantic. Oh, and, and she's a current state. I, I don't know. I, I hard to keep track. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, Vicky Steiner's because she's never ever been afraid to have a real conversation with me, even the hard conversations. And and one of the conversations that her and I would talk about is. What, what about that small community that came into money? And all of a sudden, the people who sacrificed for 15, 20 years, they, they want to go and live down in, in Arizona for the wintertime. And these were, the, these were the people that were the head of your PTA. These were the people that were the head of your school board. These were the people that were the head of your, your, your commissioners and, and your mayors. And now they're gone. And you can't blame them because after 15, 20 years of sacrificing, their ship finally came in. Well, now you have this new culture that came in. And again, now you have a new culture being brought in from foreign places and now being manufactured through the state of North Dakota. So the state of North Dakota is controlling the free market and they're going to control the culture at the end of the day, to, end of the day too in a lot of these small communities, Steve. So think about that, because I used to make this argument all the time and and it was valid. So who was the so the farmer and rancher from Western North Dakota that. You know, and I would challenge media coming into North Dakota from other places that wanted to know what was going on in the pocket. Uh, one of our friends of our show, Ernie Scheider uh, with Reuters was one of them wound up staying in Williston for several years because there were so many stories there. Uh, but I would challenge him. It's like, go to the small town cafe out in the middle of the oil patch, you know, an Arnegard or wherever it may be that the coffee clutch gets together every morning, the ranchers and the farmers get together and they've been doing it for 30 years and sit in on that coffee clutch. And then when you're done, let me know who's got the royalty checks. And usually it's the guy driving the 74 Ford three quarter ton half uh, flatbed that made the ranch money and he still got that truck. The money wasn't for him. It wasn't for that, that farmer or rancher. It was for his wife, the other half of the operation or, Hey, a little extra money so I can take mama on vacation. I can take mama down to Arizona when it gets really bitterly cold. And it was the other part that made mama happy. I have an opportunity to bring kids, our children who had to leave and go other places because the farm operation, we had six kids and it would only support bringing one on. That's what the royalty check money was for. It allowed kids to move home. But now we're beyond that generation. Now, like you said, a lot of those civic leaders, they've all moved on. Who's left? Somebody's managing the ranch, okay? But we're not here anymore. It, it, the culture's changed. I, that's not the case in all of it, but the culture has changed. There's a big difference between what we were dealing with in 2010, 2014, and today. I'll give you another example, Steve. So you had an influx of people 10, 15 years ago. There were people that came from other states, Texas, Alaska, Oklahoma, just to name a few came up from other popular oil plays and they, they fell in love with the community. Tell you what, there was all kinds of stories. We're up against the break and I want to come back to that because there's one of the most prophetic things that was ever told to me. And I went click, got it. Um, and we'll talk about that when we come back and exactly what you're talking about right here. This is Talk of the Town on a Wattage Wednesday. I'm Steve Bach along with Jason Spies from The Crude Life on Super Talk 1270. To Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bach along with Jason Spies from The Crude Life on a Wattage Wednesday. You can catch The Crude Life Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. 
And uh, in the very near future, big announcement coming with the crude life. Uh, uh, very, very big changes coming. So we'll talk about that uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, going back to the culture side of stuff, and, and uh, I want to let you finish up your point before I tell you what I was told, and I'm sure you probably yeah. heard it as well, uh, about people coming into North Dakota. So my, my point in this context was when... You know, so we had some people that came into some royalty money and, and they left, you know, they, they went to uh, different, you know, states to, to enjoy their, their lives. Or maybe they've moved to Fargo to, you know, get, get around some commerce. Basically, you know, they'd sacrificed for 15, 20 years and then they came into some different monies. Now, your addition to that was that some of that money and a lot of it, quite honestly, was used to bring the kids home. Hey, opportunity here in the Bakken, opportunity, come back home. We got a job here for you and you can take over the family farm, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll get to that in just a second. The third part of the context was that there were people that moved up here from Texas and Oklahoma and Alaska and other shale plays in order to work here. And they fell in love with North Dakota. They fell in love with the small town environment. They fell in love with the people. They fell in love with the passive aggressive nature. And I say passive aggressive because now a lot of them are very upset because they stuck around, they invested their family's future, and they kind of feel like the state turned their back on them. Or the state isn't helping them out, but they're helping out the same people that aren't from their town. And they're, they're starting to realize that there is this like inner circle that controls the state and they kind of got duped. And so there's some bitterness now because they're trying to get work in the oil and gas industry and the state's bringing in cheaper labor from out of, uh, out of state. And then they're trying to spend more money to say, hey, we don't have anybody to work up here. And that's not even remotely true. Not even remotely true. So anyone who from the state who says there's a workforce issue, they got a little bit of a sadistic problem because it's not, and they know, they know it's not true. They know there are people out there able, willing, ready to work. Mike Rowe is talking about how the biggest issue in America right now is because states like what North Dakota is doing is killing the work, work ethic out there. They've made the work ethic a bad name. So, you know, Sorry, I, I, I got on a soapbox. <laughs> you know, good, but you know, I, I, and I've worked all over the country, um, and ever, every time, if if it came down to apples and apples, and there's a job open, and it was me versus somebody else, oh, you're from North Dakota, hired, work ethic, it was work ethic, the upper Midwest had a work ethic and you're right that's waned a lot now mike Rowe. mike Rowe said that it's now become a dirty word work it ethic. is yep yeah where's my free money i, I don't want to work and by the uh, way that 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 is solely on the state of north dakota i mean they yep. not solely they they have a role in that the state of north dakota has killed work ethic and so many people because what they've done is they've taken over the marketplace to take out the uncertainty well, sure, for their people. Look at look, look at the uh, Bismarck here, Bismarck Mary, the the, the guy who was working what nonprofit uh, uh, part time, and he, and he gets a six hundred seven hundred thousand dollar film film contract from Commerce, and he says that if I get picked, I'll start a nonprofit. I mean, you had twenty four filmmakers come forward and say this is corrupt. And Commerce wrote the RFP specifically right. for him. 24 businesses came forward and said, Department of Commerce, you are extremely corrupt. Here's how corrupt you are. 24 of us that really don't know each other can see through this. And we have joined together and, and signed a letter to say you're corrupt. And my, my addition to that is this. In six months... In 12 months, let's go back and take a look at how many of those 24 are still in the business. I'll bet you less than half because that's exactly what the North Dakota Commerce does on purpose is they try to kill the work ethic. They try to stop the momentum. 
They try to disrupt opportunity so they can control it. And now they want to control the culture too. All right, going back to the culture. Communities have completely changed now the baton to you, Steve. All right, going back to the culture. And you probably heard this. One of my favorite mayors in North Dakota. Um, you knew Ward Kozer very well, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, in fact, we even okay. did a, a we, we did a story that got picked up nationally called an exit interview with Ward Kozer. Yeah, so Ward and him and I got to be good friends over the course of the oil boom. And I had a fraternity buddy of mine from back in my UND days that was uh, the, um, he ran the city shop um, from up in Williston. Uh, he was a rancher from up there and that was his kind of day job when he wasn't ranching. And I was up there for a conference broadcasting from Williston and had a few minutes popped out to see him well they were doing their city auction and he's like hey we're doing the auction today i'm swamped but go look around come back tell me what you see i'm like okay and i walked out into this massive fenced in yard up in williston and and this is about halfway through the initial boom so 2013 ish um and i'm looking around and there's all these lots are full. There's three big lots full. And they're either brand new trucks that are wrecked, piece of crap cars that when you inspect them further, had everybody's belongings in them for the world, the clothes and, and sleeping bags and things. Um, and then bicycles and crappy campers. That that was That was what it was. I'm like, I come back. I'm like, well, it's a lot of crap. He go, I'm like, how often do you guys do this? He goes, every three months. What? <laughs> I'm like, you're he goes, we used to do a third of one of those lots once a year with the surplus abandoned city auction. And I went and talked to Ward about that. I'm like, okay, what, what, what's with this? Three, every three months? And he's like, yep. That's how many people are coming to Williston and sleeping in their vehicles until they get a company job and then they just leave it because now they're making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and I'm like, well, how do you deal with that? He goes, well, we're still okay right now because we're dealing with people who wanted to come here. You got to remember 2010, 11, 12, the economy was not in a good place and people were desperate to feed their families all across the country. And Ward explained it best. We're grateful for these folks. They want to come here. It's the next group that we're afraid of because those are the ones that, okay, I have to go to North Dakota because I've run out my unemployment or I've used up all of my government program or I have nowhere else to turn. So now I have to go to North Dakota instead of I want to go to North Dakota. I tell you what, Steve, I'd really like to do one segment on that because I'll tell you what people say down in Texas. I've been at a lot of happy hours. Absolutely. And I can tell you what people tell you, tell me about North Dakota and North Dakota. People probably don't want to hear it, but Hey, sometimes it's not a bad idea to have a little inner growth. It's not a bad idea to hear some things that make you want to change the way you do things because you're well, exactly what, right. No, no, you're because you're right. Ward Kozer knows that there are, there are people in the industry who do not want to come to North Dakota for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And it ain't the weather. Nope, it's not the weather. Uh, we're up against a break. This is Talk of the Town on a Wattage Wednesday. Steve Bach, along with Jason's piece from The Crude Life. Our public-private picks, our last one of the year coming up next on Super Talk 1270. 1270. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bach, along with Jason Spies from The Crude Life. You can catch Crude Life Sunday morning, 10 a.m. on Super Talk 1270. And before we get to our private public fix, which, by the way, Sarah's out. <laughs> so I guess that makes it uh, just public fix, right? <laughs> At this point. Um, uh, she, yeah. She went 0 for 2 last week. She didn't uh, pick one of the winners. So. Um, unfortunately, Sarah is out of our little pool. Um, 
is kind of a, a death pool with our picks for this year. But uh, so I, I want to give you an opportunity just to finish your thought because you spend time in Houston and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Texas and the Permian and New Mexico, yeah. which is now number two in production. And what are you hearing? Because I mean, you mentioned people don't like coming to North Dakota and it's not because of the weather. No, it's basically there's the, the, the state controls the market. So if you don't have the state directing your business for you, you're, you're not going to do well. And you're going to be fighting against the state because they're, they're working on behalf of certain companies. And so those companies then will use the state and use Bush League and ruthless tactics and send Lynn Helms after you to go and try to, you know, deregulate you out of the marketplace. Oh, okay. So wait, wait a minute. So is it, they're sending Lynn Helms, the regulator after you and not Lynn Helms, the proponent of the industry after you, you know, and I, uh, because he served in both roles. Can I, can I quote somebody down in Texas for this? Absolutely. They send Lynn Helms, the asshole after you. <laughs> so they don't like his Norwegian jokes. They see through them. Now the okay. people he helps. Now, now the, the 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 global corporations that he helps and the larger companies he helps. They love him. They love him. Sure. Well, who doesn't? If if you make somebody you know millions of dollars by bankrupting a bunch of other people, and you use a bunch of public money to do it. So the big reason why companies aren't coming up here anymore is because if they don't get state money, why would they? Look at who's left. So where do you see the industry in North Dakota? Because we already talked about how it's I whittling I see the industry down in North and, Dakota being controlled by about three companies. Yeah. Okay. And do you see the industry, because it already sort of is, being controlled by the state? Because Liberty took the off. The problem is... We've got a lot of legislators who are drunk on the money. We've got a lot of elected yeah. officials that are drunk on the money. And they want all the power and control that goes along with that. You take a look at the Summit Carbon Solutions pipeline, uh, proposed CO2 pipeline, and uh, CO2 sequestration. Why? Money. Power. Money. Keep in mind, you know, we got audio of Harold Ham not even 10 years ago, poo-poo and ethanol. All right? We got book book shots of you know Scott Hennon and other leadership poo-poo and carbon sequestration three years ago, four years ago. Okay. So they figured so out the carbon credits. As soon as as soon as the subsidies came, and by the way, a subsidy in 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 their twisted mind, the way they twist it, they think they're doing everybody a favor by them getting all the money so they can figure out what jobs to create. In their, in their sick, twisted mind, they actually think they're doing us a favor. But when you take a look at what, what really this pipeline represents, it's the biggest money grab you've ever seen in your life. Because, And by the way, when I say money grab, it's all taxes. It's all taxes. Ethanol does not work without taxes. Okay, you you can you can dog solar and wind all day wind, long. You can, you can dog solar ethanol. and wind all day long, but you better throw ethanol in there too. Okay, I said that a long time. Ethanol is the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Nobody wants to talk about because now now we'll go a step further, Steve. You got to throw in ethanol research too, because Cargill Cargill is not going to do their own research. They're going to use North Dakota State University and the taxpayers to get that research done. Okay, and I know people who have done the tri-college that, that talk about this stuff. So you have the ethanol that wouldn't happen without subsidies. The research wouldn't happen without subsidies. You'd have regular gasoline without, subs- without subsidies, but you have ethanol now that is forced to be put in gasoline. Most people wouldn't want ethanol in their gasoline. A they don't want it. A subsidy. it, it exactly. A is a subsidy. Okay. So now you got three subsidies already. Now, now let's talk about the whole pipeline thing. They're not gonna, they're not gonna screw one screw into that pipeline or dig one shovel of dirt until the subsidies are guaranteed. Okay, 
So now the whole pipeline is a subsidy. And then the actual sequestration uh, cavity where it's going to get injected into, that is a subsidy too. So why are all these billionaires only going to do this if they get a bunch of single mothers and, and kids and single fathers paychecks? Because that's the money where it's coming from. It's coming from all those people who are working two, three jobs. And they're so freaking busy and so tired and so overworked. It is unbelievable that the state of North Dakota would treat the people this way and act like they're doing them a favor by taking their taxes and giving it to a bunch of billionaires so they can continue the subsidy pipeline. And that's literally what this is. Ethanol, ethanol research, ethanol in the vehicles, ethanol pipeline, carbon pipeline, carbon sequestration. Uh, the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. Uh, we've got the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Swift versus the San Francisco 49ers and Mr. Irrelevant. I, I, I am going to root for San Francisco, but Kansas City is going to win. Okay. So I'm taking Kansas City for the Super Bowl win. All right. And um, I am going to just say this, that let me ask you this, Steve. If you were to predict or guess which quarterback is the underdog for the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes or Brock Purdy? Well, on the surface, you would think Brock Purdy, but it's actually Patrick Mahomes. Did you know that Brock Purdy has been favored in every single game this year? The uh, San Francisco 49ers yeah. were favored in every single game this year. No NFL and, team has ever done that. Yeah, and so what they did was they looked and they compared all of the past top three, top four that were like that, where they were favored so much that um, you know they went on to do this and this and everything. Anyways, all those teams lost in the Super Bowl. So I'm going to pick the Chiefs like you, but I believe the Chiefs are going to win because – when the game is done, Travis Kelsey is going to propose to Taylor Swift. <laughs> At the 50-yard line? They're going to say they're going to Disneyland or Disney World. <laughs> and then Travis Travis Kelsey will take Taylor Swift's last name, Travis <laughs> Swift. <laughs> I love it, my friend. We'll see what happens on Sunday. Don't forget the Crude Life Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Those are our private public picks. This is Talk of the Town on a wattage Wednesday. I'm Steve Bogg along with Jason Spees on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town, weekday morning starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. AM Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio.